have a Bible this morning, let me invite you to go with me to Psalm chapter 11. Psalm chapter number 11. And I have to confess that it seems like every time I go to the Bible these days, I'm trying to find something that will comfort my heart in view of all that's taking place in the world. I know many of you, I know all of you that are here. And one thing I know is that you love the Lord. <laughs> and, and many of you served in the armed services of our country. You love America. And your heart is absolutely broken over what you see happening in our country. I'm sure of it. And uh, as I look into the Word of God everywhere, I find truth that relates to what we're going through as a nation. And you know, the Bible is just timeless and it's true. It's absolute. And it's relevant to the day in which we live. It's as relevant today as the day that it was written. And I think that today as we consider chapter 11 in Psalms, you're going to discover that it speaks to what is happening in the streets of Seattle and Atlanta and Washington, D.C., Minneapolis and Phoenix and in many other cities across our country. And Psalm chapter 11, here's what the Bible says. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. This morning I want to bring you a message titled, When the Foundations Are Destroyed. Lord, I pray that this morning You would help us as we seek to understand Your truth and then to live it out in our lives. Use me, I pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. When the foundations are destroyed. This is something that the writer of the psalm, David, understood full well. In fact, this psalm was written when David, who was a psalmist, a shepherd, who was a champion in Israel, who loved and honored his king, was written when he was falsely accused and being unjustly pursued as a criminal. The people of Israel had been turned against David. I will tell you that David honored the king and he loved the kingdom and his brethren served in the army and yet the king that he loved and served and honored had now done dishonorably and unjustly and had told lies about David and was seeking his very life. And upon this occasion, David is writing. It seems like 
there's a correlation to what is taking place in our world today with the outcry about social injustice and about the inequity in our justice system. And yet I want to say this to you, and I mean it sincerely, that what is happening in our world today is not a new phenomenon. There has always been injustice. How many of you are aware of that? There has never been a time where every place on earth has had liberty prevailing and justice prevailing in, in, in wherever people live. And the fact of the matter is, there will not be until Jesus establishes His kingdom in the New Jerusalem. I, I'm going to tell you that honestly, uh, or during, during the Millennial Kingdom, the Lord will judge righteously. But I'll tell you that what we find here is that David was writing about something that he knew full well. David had lived to this point an honorable life. At this point, he hadn't yet committed sin with Bathsheba or sinned in numbering the children of Israel and seeing 70,000 men fall because of his prideful choice. What we do find here is that he's in a dilemma. His life is being sought by the king that he has served and honored. And now he's being tested. And through these seasons of testing, he is being strengthened as a man after God's own heart. And I believe that we are living in a day that David understood where the foundations are being destroyed. All the things that we have counted on to be there and that we could lean upon, they're being undermined and they're crumbling beneath our feet. And so the Bible calls us to consider its truth. And in this passage, as we consider all that's going on in our own world, I think that what we must consider here from this passage, first of all, is the indecision. The indecision. The Bible says, In the Lord put I my trust, in verse 1, how say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. So David was in a little bit of a quandary here. Because everything around him is coming unwound. His life is falling apart as he has known it. The king is pursuing his life. The reputation that he had sought to build and that he had amongst the maidens of Israel who said that Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands has now been change to David is uh, he's a traitor to the throne and that uh, uh, he needs to be put to death and so his whole reputation has been maligned falsely you think of that and now the very army in which his brethren served is being brought upon him to take his life and he's being chased like an animal and his faith is in the Lord and yet his fears are calling him to, to do something else altogether, to run away. And there were those that still were loyal to David that were telling him, listen, you need to get out of Dodge. You need to get as far away from this place as fast as you can as is humanly possible because Saul's coming to get you. And the fact is that whenever the foundation seemed to be crumbling under our feet, there's going to be a lot of differing opinions that we hear. Will there not? But the reality is this, that the only opinion that truly matters in the end is God's. Everybody will have an idea about what they think you need to do. Right? How many of you know that? 
And, uh, and yet, the Lord wants us to seek His wisdom. And I like what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I've known a good many Christians who through the years have gone through difficulty and they find themselves living their lives just like politicians. They do what they do not because of a principle deep within, but because of what the polls tell them. The public opinion polls. And so, rather than trusting the Lord and seeking His truth for guidance in their life, what they do is they go on Facebook and put out a flyer and hope that some of their Facebook friends will be kind enough to to weigh in on the matter. Or they, they go to work and sit in the break room and talk to some unsaved person who's living an ungodly lifestyle and ask what they think they should do about a thing. And the fact of the matter is, God forbid that we would ever come to the place where we're seeking the counsel of the ungodly. God wants us to seek godly counsel, especially in time of indecision. And, you know, the Lord is going to direct us. I, I have... Uh, enjoyed over the last several days having my wife's sister and and uh, my nephews and nieces here with us for a visit and my nephew Tyler uh, he's a fine young man and he's a hard worker and and he's got a good character and he loves the Lord and uh, God's working in his life and and uh, he works uh, with computers and in IT and he's really handy like that and and he had an opportunity to interview for a job that he really wanted to get. And so he knew that Jonathan, my son, was working in that field. And uh, so he called Jonathan to get some advice on how to prepare for this particular interview and if there was anything that he should study up on, any courses that he should take. And he spent a good long time talking to Jonathan about that uh, job interview. Well, yesterday morning, my niece, Kaylee, had a virtual graduation from the University of California. She graduated with two bachelor's degrees from the University of, of California at Irvine. And uh, so we all gathered around the television set and watched it uh, there as they called her name and cheered for her. We had her on FaceTime and so forth. And, and uh, so afterwards, I was talking to Tyler in the kitchen about his job and so forth. And about that time, Jonathan called me just to to visit a little bit, and and I I told Tyler I said I got Jonathan on the phone. I put him on the on the speaker, and Tyler came over to the phone and said, Jonathan, I just wanted to say thank you for all the help that you provided uh, to me uh, for my interview. And he said I got the job offer and I start next week. And uh, Jonathan said, Man, that is so good, Tyler. I'm so happy for you. Tell me about it. And he said. Well, I you know, was going through the interview and, and I was asking about the schedule and, and, uh, and the, it was going to give me Sundays off. And I told the fellow that was interviewing me, that's, that's great because I'll have time off to go to church. And, uh, and the fellow asked him, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. I'm a Christian. And uh, then the, the, the gentleman said, well, you won't then have any trouble working with churches because we, we set up IT systems for churches and a lot of charter schools. And he said, no, sir, I'd be happy to do that. I've been raised in church all my life. And uh, Jonathan got so excited, he said, Tyler, you witnessed to that man at that interview because you brought the name of Jesus into the conversation and you acknowledged the Lord. It was a testimony 
to that man. And you know, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And then what happens? He shall direct thy paths. So you know what? I believe that God understood. Here's Tyler acknowledging Him to a man that he'd never met. Many people would never do that because they would be afraid of not getting the job offer. They would be afraid that maybe it was a work culture that was hostile towards Christianity. They would be afraid that someone perhaps was a, a, an atheist or maybe something else altogether. And they might be offended at you invoking the name of Jesus. But because he brought it up, I believe that led that man to want to extend the offer to him. What happened? He acknowledged God and God directed his path into the employment that he should have. And the truth is today that when we're indecisive, we need to run to God and we need to acknowledge God in our life. Not run away, but run to God. And God will give us the leadership that we need in our life. So in the time of crisis, there's no need to flee when God is on our side. David said, I'm trusting God. Why do I need to flee as a bird to the mountain? And, and, and you see... God is calling us to trust Him to put our life in His hands. So consider when we're indecisive. There have been many times where my whole world seemed like it was just falling apart and I felt like I don't even know what to do and I wanted to call everybody. And what I needed to do was I needed to run to the Lord. I needed to go to Him and seek His counsel. I needed to acknowledge Him knowing that when I did, He would give me the leadership that I needed in my life. Secondly, we consider the injustice. In verse 2, the Bible says, Lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. So what David is saying is, look, these men are shooting at an innocent man. Now we've heard much about that in our media these days, have we not? Boy, if what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis wasn't hard enough to deal with as a country. Now, there's an event similar, I guess, in Atlanta. And it seems like the world is going crazy. And folks, I want to just tell you this. What we see here is that injustice has always been a part of our culture. This is not a new thing. And David was a righteous man and they were seeking to kill him unjustly. Injustice has been a part of our world since the Garden of Eden, has it not? Why did Abel die? Well, because he did what God said do. And his brother didn't like it, and he killed him unjustly. And the fact is that Jesus was accused. And they suborned perjury against Him. And they enacted many injustices upon the person of Jesus, our Savior, and yet He loved and He forgave. He received them. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We find that David was falsely accused by an evil and an unjust king. And his life was being imperiled, though he sought to do only that which was right. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells Christians in this day. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now do you know what persecution is? Persecution is suffering for doing righteously. 
suffering for doing the right thing. Now, I would tell you that we see persecution in our day. We see it around the world. We see it in the media. We see people who are uh, police officers that have served, served nobly and honorably for many years, and they're being called pigs, and they're being uh, abused, and they're having Molotov cocktails thrown at them, being shot. And it's, a, it's an injustice. Look, my friends, I'll tell you this. Two wrongs can never make something right. The fact that someone was unjustly killed doesn't make unjust killing okay. It doesn't fix the problem. It perpetuates the problem. If you want to employ an eye for an eye, soon everyone will be blind. And the reality is somewhere along the line, there needs to be mercy and forgiveness. There needs to be healing, not rioting, looting, and mayhem in the streets of our cities. So we consider the injustice, and here we discover an injustice that's being perpetrated against a righteous man. So what do we do? We follow the text and we consider the inquiry. The inquiry. We see the words of this question that David posed in verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a great question. What can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? Now, what are the foundations? Well, the foundations, it's not relating to God because God has not been destroyed. He never will be. His truth is not destroyed, though men try to destroy it and take it away from our culture. Because the Bible says heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. This government in this country has at various times over the last several decades tried to remove prayer and the Bible from the public school system, has tried to remove the Ten Commandments and God from the public discourse and off the courthouse walls and out of the public square. They've sought to censure churches and pastors from preaching the truth and calling it hate speech if they somehow disagreed with it and, and ordering more coloring books for their safe places if we said something that hurt their feelings. The fact of the matter is this, my friends, that the question stands, what can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? And I submit to you that the foundations are those things which we have through the course of our lives come to depend upon. Those are the things that have upheld us. We've, we've, we've stood on them and we have come to trust in them and to, and to depend upon them. I wonder what your foundations might be. Perhaps a part of your foundation has been family. That that's something that you've come to depend upon. That you've, that you've sought to rely upon. David, no doubt, at a time in his life thought that a part of the foundation of his life was family. Later on in his life, he, he violated God's law and he saw the death of a son and he saw the rape of a daughter by a son and saw the murder of another son and saw another son steal his kingdom from him. And he came to a place where the foundation of family was something he realized he could not really count on any longer. I've seen families fighting over an inheritance and hating one another because they, th they thought they should get more money or more possessions 
from an inheritance. And, and you know, the truth is that if the parents that passed thought that their kids would be hating one another over all the stuff that they left over, they would have gotten rid of it all and spent every last penny to have their kids loving each other when they were gone. And that's, that's the truth. And many of you have witnessed similar things. So people often count family. Listen, I know people today, you know people today, and I've talked to them this week that feel like I don't have any family that I can count on anymore. I don't know who I will call upon. I'm going to tell you this. I remember uh, four or five years ago when Joe, Joe Williams went down to visit some loved ones in Texas and he was really looking forward to it. He went down to visit some of his, his uh, cousins that he grew up with and that he really thought the world of. And he went down there and spent time with them and he came home and he called me on the phone. He said, can, can I come by and see? I said, come on over. He said, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. So he drove his kind of peach-colored Ford F-150 truck and pulled into the drive here and he came in the office and he sat down and you know that big old guy that was that could be kind of obnoxious sometimes and loud and brash? He had big tears in his eyes. I said, well, how was your trip? And he said, shook his head. He said, I realize that I don't got anybody. I don't have anybody in Texas anymore. He said, I went down there thinking that I had family that would take, from me, take care of me when I got old and sick. And he said, I realize that They've all moved on with their lives. They don't have any use for me anymore. And he looked down and he said, I really don't have any kin I can count on, Pastor. And he said, uh, would it be alright if I made you my executor? That when I passed, you made sure that I got cremated and my ashes got sent to Texas for burial next to my mom. You know, if the foundations be destroyed and everybody you thought you could count on when the going got tough, if that crumbled, what do you do? There are many people that have thought, I, I've got a job that I can count on, an income that's going to sustain me. And I'll never forget when I had a man named Roland Eberhardt come into my office several years ago and he was in his 60s and, and he sat down and he began to weep. He said, Pastor, the job that I've worked on for 26 years just went bankrupt. They called all the employees in and said that they were closing up the operation. They were letting us all go. And that the CFO of the company had embezzled all of the money in the pension fund that we had invested for all those years. And I have nothing to show for 26 years. And he looked at me and said, who wants to hire a 64-year-old man that's broke and doesn't have a pension? You see, the foundations that he thought he could stand upon, a pension and a job and income was gone. If the foundations be destroyed, many have vested themselves in government and voting for a party and a candidate and giving donations and walking precincts and praying for leadership and being actively involved in voting and seeking to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world politically so that change could be affected for good in their country. And they're looking around now and it seems that the foundations are being destroyed in the country that they love. They are now ashamed of. We have leaders that seem completely inept and totally 
confused about what to do about all of the chaos and the anarchy that's prevailing in many of the major cities of our country. Perhaps you've had friends that you thought you could love and trust and now that your life has changed or that theirs has changed, they no longer have time for you. If the foundations be destroyed, Friday I sat in the office, man knocked on the door, said, could I talk to you, Pastor? Invited him in, gave him a bottle of water, and he said, I, I believe in God, I just don't go to church anymore. And I said, you know, the church is the body of Christ, and that's God's plan for your life. And he said, you know, I attended a church all my life, and several years ago, a church that I loved and attended for a long time, the leadership of the church treated me bad. They, they, they were mean to me. They shamed me for something I didn't do. And I walked out of there and vowed I'd never go back. It was a foundation in his life that he thought he could trust and count on, and all of a sudden he felt like it was destroyed. It's a rude awakening for people when they realize that pastors and deacons and church members are just people that make mistakes, that can hurt folks. The fact of the matter is, the question still stands, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, it's a question that we all have to wrestle with. I've talked to a lot of seniors that have hoped that their children would take care of them. And they're not there anymore. There are people that live where my mother lives that never get a visitor. They never get a call. The foundation was destroyed for them. So what to do? Well, we need to consider the immutable. The Bible says this in verse 4, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. You know, God sees because He's everywhere. He sees what's happening in your life. And He is in His holy temple. I didn't get that for the longest time. I really didn't. I, I, I told the folks earlier that uh, when I was a kid, I can remember some really funny musical moments in my life. I went to a conference with my parents in, in Lake Lucerne, California, in Northern California one time. And my dad was preaching in this Bible conference and this lady that had to be way up in years, I don't want to conjecture, but anybody above the age of 50 when you're 8 is really old, you know. And uh, she got up to do the special, and uh, I'm sitting there back by my mom, my dad's getting ready to preach, and she whistled his eyes on the sparrow. I, I mean, like in the key of B minor or something. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean... I don't think I could even do it because I could never do it without cracking up. And it's hard to whistle and smile at the same time. How many of you know that? You just can't do that. you know. But this woman got up there and I mean, she whistled a special church. Now, I don't know what you'd think about that, but I thought that was one of the funniest things that I'd ever seen to that point in my nine-year-old life. And me and my brother Paul were just cracking up. And my mother has given us the stink eye. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure we got a spanking after church was over. But, you know, the harder we tried not to laugh, the more we laughed. And that was just how that went, you know. But I remember another time, a, 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 a lady got up and she sang contralto, a high soprano. And she sang this song, The Lord is in His Holy Temple. And she sang, The Lord! 
And, uh, and I mean, I thought that was as funny as a lady whistling a special in church. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I got a spanking after that one too. I thought, what in the world, you know? And I, after it was over, I had no idea what the Lord is in His holy temple meant. But you know, a holy God, our great high priest, His name is Jesus. And do you know what? The blood that He shed for you avails for us today in the holy temple on high. It's applied to the mercy seat for you and for me. And a holy God is still satisfied with the sacrifice of Calvary. And that will never change. When God forgave you, He forgave you forever. He said, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So look, the, the world can accuse you falsely, but the Lord will remember to forget, and that's something that we can count on. We can go to the rock that is higher than I, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner, and we can stand upon the rock Jesus Christ, when all the world around us seems to be crumbling. Amen? And so we can run to Jesus and know that He will never change. He is holy, and He's in His holy temple, and He's still satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. The Bible tells us that the, Lord, the Lord's throne is in heaven. You know, He's the sovereign over all the earth. He rules over this universe. And I'm going to tell you what that, what that means is, this is His kingdom and domain. Right now, the devil is doing his dirty work. But do you know, there's nothing the devil can do that God doesn't permit. And there's nothing that will happen to you or me today that doesn't have to first pass by the throne of God before it takes place. And whatever happens to you or me for good or bad has been allowed by God to help us be further formed into the image of Jesus. It is ultimately for our good. Our God will never change. The Bible says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. The Lord will never change who He is. The Lord will never change what He has determined for you. The Lord will never change His mind about you. So when the world is falling apart, be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. Listen, I believe that what we can do when the world seems to be crumbling around us is run to Jesus. Go to Him and acknowledge Him. Seek the counsel of His Word and the leadership of His Holy Spirit. Come to Him in prayer and pour out the burden of your heart knowing the Lord will sustain me. So we consider that God will never change. And I can stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ and know that that will remain secure and that Jehovah Jireh will take care of me, and that Jehovah Rapha will be the one that healeth me, and Jehovah Nissi will be the Lord whose banner is over me, and His banner that waves above me is love. My friend, I'm considering that God will never change when everything around me is changing 
and crumbling. The last thing that I would say we need to consider is this. Consider the integrity. Not only the indecision. Listen, we can decisively know in time of crisis we can run to Jesus. We consider the injustice. There's always been injustice, but God the righteous judge will make it all right one day. And the only injustice that we need to suffer is for doing well. Thirdly, consider the inquiry. What shall the righteous do? Well, we consider that God will never change. He's immutable. That He'll always be there and that we can go to the rock that is higher than I. But understand this, my friends. God is calling us to live out Christian character. The integrity that He calls us to. Let me say this to you, and you know it will. A person's character is not really revealed when everything is going well, is it? No. When there's plenty of money in the bank and the bills are all paid, when everyone is happy and healthy, when all of the kids love Jesus and want to go to church, and when everybody's employed and, and the, the, the cars are running well and everything is turning up roses, that's not when our character is revealed. Our character is revealed when things are not going so well. When trouble comes our way. How many of you know that? And uh, if you want to know the character uh, of Christian folks, join a church softball league. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've seen a few brujas at some church softball games. and uh, when, when someone didn't agree with a call at home plate or something, or there was a hard tag, or uh, I, I've seen... Folks, really, that I thought were godly people revealed that they weren't really even very nice at all. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of the reasons why I don't play church softball anymore. <laughs> I was always having to break people up. That was it. But, uh, but you know, when things get tense, when things get stressful, that's when our character is revealed. Do we fall apart in stress? Do we become angry? Do, are, we, are we distemperate? Do, are we incontinent in our spirit? We want to just go off on people and throw down? What do we do? We have no, no spirit control? That's when things are revealed. God is calling us to this. He said, look, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his, his soul hateth. Look, I'm going to just say this to you. And you know it like I know it, but here's a Bible verse to prove it. Okay, The Bible says, the wicked in him that loveth violence, the soul of God hates that. God's not in violence in the streets of our city. Did you know that? God is a God of order. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that, uh, that, that God is a God of order, that all things are to be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Because God is a God of order. He's not into chaos, mayhem, and anarchy. And you know that as I do. God's not into violence. So the fact that someone was violently killed doesn't make it right for someone to go out and violently kill someone else, just to prove a point. God says, I hate that. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. So here's a commentary on the events that we're seeing played out on the news every day in front of us. The Lord's not in that. James chapter 1 says, Wherefore let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. All these angry people that are being destructive and hateful will never accomplish 
a righteous end. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. A good thing will never come out of their violence and anger. If it could, the Bible is not true. Just simply saying that when we see the foundations of our world being destroyed, what do we do? Well, we consider that God calls us to walk in integrity, uh, not to be angry in our spirit, not to be vengeful in our spirit, but to be loving and to, to be forgiving because God, who is holy and in His holy temple, is incapable of blessing unholiness. God can't bless sinful choices. He can't bless sinful behavior or He is no longer God. But He will honor those that walk uprightly when trouble comes. That walk uprightly when trouble comes. You know, folks, the church should be a model of Christian virtue and character in these days. We should be a model of those that are loving and forgiving. Folks should, should come to us and say, listen, I love this church because it's a place where everyone is accepted and received. And, and it is. And it is. And, and listen, you can talk to the people of color that have come to this church down through the years and they will tell you that this has been a, a special place where folks are truly loved for who they are, not for what they look like. The fact is that God will honor us when in time of trouble we choose to walk with godly integrity. So we consider the integrity that He calls us to. You know, many of you have seen your foundations destroyed. Brother John, I know that You've had some aches and pains. You've struggled with some things like that. I know, Patty, you've had them on, of your own. Brother Bill, it seems like you're on a first-name basis with too many doctors these days. Right? There are many others as well. And the fact is, sometimes it's like the health that you're counting on having seems to be kind of shaky. I, I, I'm kind of getting there. Catching up to you pretty quick, some of you. So what are we going to do? We need to hold on to God's unchanging hand. Last hour I told a story of a time when I was called upon to preach in northern Thailand. I, I flew to, to Chiang Rai in northern Thailand and missionary picked me up and we drove to Chiang Mai. And he told me the story about a young woman that accepted Christ as Savior a number of years prior in His church. At the age of 13, her parents were staunch Buddhists, and they were angry that she went to a Christian church and accepted Jesus. So her father, when she came home and told him that she was now a Christian, tied her up. And for the next couple of days, that dad and his wife took cigarettes and burned that girl over every inch of her body more than a thousand times burned her with a cigarette. Thinking that they could torture that Jesus out of her through some sort of soul penance. She looked like 
she'd been pressed in a waffle iron. She'd just been burned over her whole body. If that wasn't bad enough, the parents were poor. So the father decided, since she's not giving up on this idea of Jesus, I'll, I'll take care of it. So he found some sex traffickers and, and sold his 13-year-old daughter as a sex slave to be taken to Bangkok to be raped multiple times every day. They told him that she would have to be their slave for five years before she could be set free. And that if she escaped, she would be killed and so would they. So for five years, that young girl was brutally raped every day. Five years later, when she was free to go, she took the bus back to Chiang Mai. She got off the bus. You think she wanted to run home to mom and dad? No. They gathered for Sunday service and they're in the back of the church. So that young woman who as a 13-year-old girl accepted Christ as her Savior. And now, a beaten young woman stood there. Where else was she going to go? Could she say, I can count on my family? Can I count on a job or money? Can I count on a government to protect me from sex traffickers? In red light districts where it's accepted? You know where she went? She went to church. Because for five years every day, all she had to hold on to was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He was the rock that she held to when her foundations were destroyed. And my friends, when the foundations are destroyed, hold on to God's unchanging hand. He loves you. And that will never change. That relationship will never be destroyed. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today that we can go to a God that loves us and cares for us. And even in these difficult days in which we live, I pray that You would call people to Yourself. For we know, dear God, that Behavior will never change until there's a change of heart. So Lord, would you do in hearts what only you may do. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Perhaps you're seated in this room and you would say, some of the foundations of my life seem to be crumbling. And I know that I just need to hold on to the rock that is solid and sure. The rock that is higher than I Pray for me that in uncertain times I would just run to Jesus and hold fast to Him. Here's my hand. Pray for me, Pastor. I, I've had some things that have crumbled beneath my feet. I want to hold on to God. I want to walk in my integrity before Him. Pray for me. God bless you. God bless you today.
Then I wonder if there's somebody in the room that would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home, but I'm concerned about it. And if that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. What if you just slip your hand and say, pray for me? Is there one like that? Lord God, I pray that you would bless these sweet people for their faithfulness. Lord, help us in uncertain times when the foundations are destroyed to hold on to God's unchanging hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.